Prescription drugs are essential to the management of both acute and chronic pain. However, misuse, abuse, and addiction of these products, especially opioids, have become a worldwide epidemic. Since 1999, the number of overdose deaths involving opioids have almost quadrupled in the United States. You are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Joining me today is Dr. Nzinga Harrison, a board-certified physician in addiction medicine and psychiatry. She's also a campaign psychiatrist for Let's Get Mentally Fit, co-founder of Physicians for Criminal Justice Reform, and the CMO of Anka Behavioral Health Incorporated. Today, we will be discussing the emerging management of opioid addiction. Dr. Harrison, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much for having me. So how significant is this problem of opioid addiction, and is this epidemic really a new one? Um, The epidemic has been going for a while, but it is absolutely growing. So as you mentioned in the introduction, um, since 1999, which is about, you know, the last 15 years, give or take a couple, um, the number of deaths involving opioids has nearly quadrupled. To put a number to that, in 2014, more people died from drug overdoses than in any previous year on record. And the majority of those overdose deaths involved an opioid. Um, If we look at actually the number of people who had died from 2000 to 2014 from drug overdose, it's nearly half a million people. Um, And sometimes we can conceptualize that better if we talk about by day. That's approximately 78 Americans, so not worldwide, just in this country, that are dying every single day from an opioid overdose. So it absolutely is as bad as is being reported, and it absolutely is growing exponentially. Um, Another factor that is really driving the current attention that the opioid epidemic is getting is that it was previously almost exclusively an urban problem. And now, um, with the increased availability of prescription opioids, it's beginning to really affect small towns, um, upper-class suburbs, and this is a population that had not previously been affected. And so this spread is really starting to increase awareness of the problem. So with all the awareness out there with this opioid epidemic, there seems to be somewhat of a blame on the physicians. How much have physicians contributed to the epidemic? Well, you know, unfortunately, we have contributed to this epidemic, but you're right. The uh, the public tenor right now is really kind of very uh, litigious and very blaming um, as if physicians have the entire responsibility, which is not completely true. But if we look at our role in it, um, we know that overdoses from prescription opioid pain relievers, so um, like your Oxycontin, your morphine, your hydrocodone, these are a driving factor in the increase in opioid overdose um, overdose deaths that we've seen over the past year. Um, Specifically looking at those prescription medications, uh, including methadone, overdose deaths have quadrupled since 1999. And so without physicians, people could not get prescriptions to get access to those medications. And so our prescription patterns have absolutely played a role. I'll give um, just one more fact to support that statement, which is since 1999, so approximately the last 15 years, the number of prescription pain medications sold in the United States nearly quadrupled. And yet, when we look at the overall prevalence and the amount of pain that Americans report, there's been no change. 
So in the face of a flat curve for pain, we're seeing really an exponential increase in the number of prescriptions we're writing for these medications. Some of that because we didn't fully appreciate how dangerous they can be. Now that we're appreciating how dangerous they can be, it's our responsibility to contribute to curbing the epidemic. So the big question is, how do we do that? How do we not contribute? And you know, it's difficult. So um, of course, the easy answer is don't write prescriptions for pain medications, but um, that's not so easy, right? So as physicians, it is our responsibility to adequately manage the medical conditions that our patients present to us with. Um, And chronic pain is absolutely, uh, when including low back pain and headaches, the most common uh, medical condition that we treat in the United States. Um, And so we have to find those evidence-based ways that we can treat chronic pain syndromes without using opioid prescription medications. We need to uh, work with our, you know, allied health partners, so uh, dentists, especially our physicians in the emergency room that are seeing people with acute pain and try to minimize the prescriptions that are coming out of those, um, especially doctors that don't have the benefit of long-term relationships with patients. They're at especially increased risk um, for writing a high number of prescription medications. And then, honestly, being able to accurately convey the risk that these medications carry to our patients, which gives us the ability to say no. So we're in a time where patient satisfaction drives a lot of how we get measured. Um, And you can, you know, notice a decrease in your patient satisfaction because you say no to writing a prescription medication. But if we can really have a collective, unified voice where we're all speaking the same language, the risk for you is too high that's why the answer is no, then we'll start to get support um, around, you know, other industries understanding why we're saying no. It's certainly a dilemma. Are there specific guidelines that we as physicians can use to curb the epidemic? So there actually are. Um, The CDC released um, guidelines for prescribing opioids for chronic pain. I would definitely recommend that every physician download it and start... um, Uh, changing your practice pattern to meet these guidelines. And I want to emphasize that we are in an incredibly litigious time um, for suing doctors for opioid overdose deaths. A great fraction of the general public really believes that it is our fault when people die of these opioid overdoses. Um, If you can follow these guidelines and uh, document your charts according to these guidelines, you will be protecting not only your patients but also yourself. And so um, the CDC released this guideline. It basically has 12 recommendations. I won't go through all of them, but I'll highlight the biggest ones that really touch physicians of all specialties. The number one recommendation was non-pharmacologic and non-opioid therapy for chronic pain. So non-opioid therapy as a first line is not a new recommendation, but non-pharmacologic therapy at all. Um, And so that's for those treatments that are not medication at all. There's an evidence base for exercise, for physical therapy, for weight loss, for cognitive behavioral therapy. They're pushing more support behind interventional procedures. So the data shows that all of those confer less risk than an opioid therapy. Another one, the second recommendation that is a bit different than what I think many of us were taught in medical school is to start with immediate release opioids rather than extended release. And the reason is because extended release opioids 
have more respiratory depression that is still happening even when the pain effect wears off. So your patient feels their pain come back. They take another dose of a long-acting opioid, and they compound the respiratory depression, thereby increasing their risk for overdose. So whereas we've been told before, use a long-acting whenever possible to reduce abuse and diversion, this guideline actually turns that on its head and says to reduce the risk of overdose, use immediate release. Try not to go over 90 milligrams of morphine milligram equivalents a day. Identify your high-risk patients, so anyone with a history of depression, anxiety, other psychiatric disorder, substance use disorder, um, and then as much as possible avoid concurrent benzodiazepine use because those also reduce respiratory efforts and can compound the overdose risk of opioids. That was only five of the 12 recommendations. Every single one of the 12 recommendations will mitigate your risk and help you keep your patients safe um, and also will help you say no, right? You can say the CDC guideline for physicians says this is why I need to tell you no today because it confers more risk than benefit to you. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Nzinga Harrison, a board-certified physician in addiction medicine and psychiatry based here in Atlanta. We're speaking about the emerging management of opioid addiction. So you briefly went over some important parts of the guidelines, and one of the things you mentioned is kind of identifying patients who are at risk. In addition, I identifying those patients, how do we identify patients who may or may not have become addicted to these pain medicines? That's a great question. Um, So let me start with identifying those patients who may be at risk. Um, We typically think of that in a very narrow way, like do they have a history of substance use disorder? Have they already displayed any behavior that would make me think they're diverting medications like running out early, you know, calling in saying they lost their meds, needing escalating doses. Um, And so I want to broaden that just a little bit. What we have to remember is that opioid medications not only treat physical pain, they treat emotional pain. And it's really the treatment of the emotional pain that significantly increases a patient's risk of becoming addicted. So this is why we vehemently recommend screening for depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, and even just symptoms that don't necessarily rise to a level of diagnosis because those are putting that patient at risk the first time they take that opioid medication and they feel those emotional symptoms melt away. That puts them at risk. You can notice when a person um, has begun abusing their opioids by um, a few risk factors. So one, please, please, please register for your state's prescription drug monitoring program, the PDMP. When you have a person for whom you are prescribing opioid medications, and this is one of the CDC guidelines as well, you need to check that PDMP prior to authorizing any refills or giving any new prescriptions. If you see in there that they're getting prescriptions from multiple places, so dentists report to this, all pharmacies actually report to this. So no matter where they fill their medication, that information will be collected by your state and presented to you. They've been to the ER, they've been to the dentist, they're coming to you and these are interim and they're getting narcotics from all of those. That's a clue that they're either abusing or diverting the opioid medication. Patients who need to come in before their scheduled prescription should have run out because they've run out early. Patients who come in with kind of fantastic stories about dropping their medications down the toilet or losing their medications on, uh, on vacation, 
uh, you need to be aware of those. Um, and then also uh, drug screen. So I recommend, and the, the CDC recommends drug screening also, even though they don't give a specific interval, before every new or recurrent prescription, check the PDP, check a urine drug screen, make sure there's nothing in there that you haven't prescribed. If you can really kind of monitor those variables, you'll be able to get a feel for who might be becoming addicted. So once we have a suspicion that there is an addiction problem, is it time to refer? Is this something we manage ourselves? It's absolutely time to refer. So in general, you won't have the time necessary or even the skills necessary to treat a person who has developed addiction to their opioid medication, right? So for your kind of sanity, we want to wrap a team around you of support as much as we want to wrap a team around the patient for support. So um, the first stop is often very appropriately a mental health clinician, like you don't have to make a referral directly to a psychiatrist. So if you just Google in your area what clinicians may be available that have some experience in substance abuse treatment, you can make your referral there. If you have an addiction psychiatrist handy, you can make a referral there. Those are typically difficult to find. Um, but very importantly is that conversation that you have with the patient. Before you ever write the first prescription, you say, I will be drug screening you. I will be checking the prescription drug monitoring program. I will be looking for these red flags. At any point, any of them show up. I will either have to make a referral to a pain specialist so that they can see what options are available for managing your pain without opioids, or we'll have to stop this opioid prescription and look at other options. And so you set that expectation up front so that when it happens, you're just wrapping around to the expectation that you had already set in the beginning, and then you use your network to make a referral, paper the opioid if possible, if not making a referral to a pain doc. So we talk about making that referral and plugging them into that system. While we're waiting for that process to take place, do we continue to prescribe the drug? So this has to be um, an individual risk-benefit assessment. You have to evaluate the risk of discontinuing that medication. So that would be in terms of withdrawal symptoms um, and pain. And you have to consider the risk of continuing that medication, so opioid overdose risk and continued addiction risk. If you determine that you can safely taper that medication, then you taper the medication. So no cold turkeys, right? We don't want to throw people into opioid withdrawal. If you consider that with additional structure, you could continue this person until you can get them connected, then maybe you only give them a prescription that's good for one week and you have them come back every week and you check the PDMP and you check the drug screen and it has to be negative for them to get their next prescription. You can put those sorts of structures in place to try to gap that time until you can get them to the specialist. So a population of patients that often does not get addressed is that group of patients who obtain their opioids outside of the physician's office. Are there recommendations about those patients? So those are difficult um, for us because we really only see them when they cross our threshold. The way we will catch those people um, really is with the prescription drug monitoring program and the, uh, the urine drug screen. So if they frankly do not have a prescription at all and they're just getting it off the street, the PDMP won't show that to us. Um, but often they will have stopped through a dentist's office or an emergency room um, or an urgent care, even though they've been really great about putting controls in place for this. So sometimes it may flag. But the other place you will find that is the urine drug screen. So if you know 
you have not uh, prescribed that medication for them and it shows up, then you can start the talk there. Um, but the other, and this is in the CDC guidelines also, is uh, Narcan, right? So this entire effort is focused on reducing opioid overdose deaths. And we know that Narcan can reverse the respiratory depression. That is the reason why people die from an opioid overdose. Um, in most states across this country, physicians and actually community organizations can provide either a prescription for Narcan or actually a Narcan kit to anyone, anyone who is addicted, anyone who knows someone who is addicted, anyone who might come across someone who might have an overdose. Literally, the criteria is so wide open. Um, and they come with specific instructions, and you give the education about how to deliver a Narcan and then to call 911. And this is an evidence-based strategy that is absolutely reducing the number of opioid overdose deaths that we're seeing. Once we do identify these patients and we do get them into treatment, how successful is treatment? So uh, treatments for... So those patients who become addicted um, to opioid medications, either through prescriptions or through some other means, patients that become addicted from a prescription, um, like other chronic medical illness, the shorter amount of time they've had the addiction, the better the prognosis. The less severe the addiction, the better the prognosis. This is why it's our responsibility to identify and intervene as early as possible. And of course, prevention even first. Prevention and then early identification and intervention. There is some preliminary data that maybe uh, patients who have not yet made the conversion from pain meds to heroin, because that conversion definitely happens, may have a better prognosis. And so to put numbers on it, when we look at substance use disorders in general, the relapse rate is actually equivalent to that of diabetes or asthma or hypertension. And so the number of people that have a relapse of their symptoms in any given year is about 60% for any chronic medical illness, and substance abuse is the same. And so if we look at it like that, then the success rate is equivalent to the success rate for diabetes, hypertension, and asthma. Um, although 60% will relapse in a year, 40% won't. And so it's absolutely our responsibility to, you know, make treatment available to that 40% and even try to work on getting that to be a higher number by intervening as early as possible. We are nearing the end of our time together. Do you have any final thoughts for us? Yes. So my final thought is that I want to emphasize that this is our responsibility. The CDC has done us a great favor by releasing these guidelines because now we have, um, you know, an official evidence-based practice guideline that we can fall back on to support us when we say no. We actually also have that guideline to, uh, to help us with our documentation. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to protect yourself around this issue, doctors are getting criminal charges and going to prison as a result of overdose deaths among their patient populations. And so you need to please, please review those CDC guidelines 
and implement those practice changes and document them in your charts so that your patients can be safe and so that your practice can be safe. Dr. Harrison, thank you for joining us today. This has certainly been a timely review of an important topic. Thank you so much. And to download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on this podcast. I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta henry and you've been listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.